You're listening to the Sunday morning message from Clouds Creek Baptist Church. Join us for worship Sunday morning at 11. Or for more information, visit cloudscreek.org. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good? Couple, couple goods? Okay, I'll take it. Uh, if you're in your Bibles with us this morning, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 33. If you're following along uh, with your, in your Bibles with us today, uh, go ahead and open up to Exodus chapter 33, where we'll be hanging out this morning. We're going to be talking today about uh, wants. Last week, we saw Moses and the tent of meeting. Uh, we got to see the really cool example that he set of what it looks like to spend time with God. And what can happen if we spend time with God, how God can show up, and how God can use us from that. Um, I want to start off with a question this morning. And if you want to write it down, if you've got your phone and you just want to like write it in like a note, or if you've got pen and paper, I want you to answer the question, what do you want? I know that's a big question, right? Like, what do you mean? Like, for lunch? Like, just end, end it however you want, right? Like... I want blank. Just think about it for a second. Jeffrey, over there on your flip phone, type it in there. Yep, there you go. Just send a text message to yourself. You know, that's how you do it. But just think about it. Even if you're not writing it down, have the answer in your mind of what do you want? And maybe it's I want more blank, whatever it may be. Uh, I remember growing up, my dad had this rule that impulse buys were, like, not allowed. Like, you can't just be like, hey, I see this thing in the store and I want it. Because that happens, like, every time you go to a store, right? Especially when you're a kid. You're like, I want everything. Taking Zeke to the toy aisle is just, if I want to hear, I want this, I want this, I want this. Over and over, that's where we'll go. Um, I remember I was, like, 10 or 11. Who remembers Beanie Babies? Okay, yeah. So every, pretty much everybody. Girls, you guys, do you know Beanie Babies? So before you guys, Beanie Babies were like, it was the craziest thing that maybe the world has ever seen. Like, Beanie Babies, you could not get away from them, and they costed entirely too much money. Costed, I know that's not a word, don't judge me. <laughs> they cost entirely too much money for a stuffed animal with beans in it, right? But everybody knew it was all about the tag, the, tea, the tie tag, and if you take the tag off your Beanie Baby, I don't know what you're doing with your life, Right? So anyway, me and my sister, we were all about Beanie Babies. I was probably 10 or 11. And we were at, I remember it was JCPenney when it was a store. Um, again, this, this story, if anybody goes back and listens to this podcast like 20 years from now, you'll be like, what is he talking about? JCPenney, Beanie Babies, what is, what is this? So anyway, we're at JCPenney's and we're, um, there's on this shelf, there is a Beanie Baby couch. Now, it's not made by Beanie Baby people. It's literally just like a stuffed couch. So it's like you can set your Beanie Baby on it. Because, you know, Beanie Babies needed furniture, apparently. And I see this. And I'm like, Dad, I want this. And he was like, well, you know the rule. You have to wait. I don't remember what it was. 48 hours a week, whatever. I never got that Beanie Baby couch. To this day. This is, we're 20 years later. And I'm like, Dad, have we reached the point? Is, it, is this enough time? I don't still want the Beanie Baby couch, don't worry. Um, but like, it's like, I remember, I still remember my dad was like, you gotta wait. And then it, the time came and I was like, all right, dad, still want it. Can I have it? And he was like, no. 
And so here I stand, 32 years old. I have never owned a Beanie Baby couch. Can you believe that? I know, right? Pray for, put me on the prayer list. Um, but when you get older, your wants get bigger, right? Have you noticed that? Like your wants, like you start to get older and then it was like, I don't want a Beanie Baby couch anymore. I want like $60 video games or like, you know, whatever it may be. Your wants get bigger. Maddie loves to look at houses for no reason. We like literally bought our house and the next morning she's laying in the bed looking at houses. And I'm like, we just bought this one. Why do you, why are you? So we're driving in the car the other day and she's like, what would you want in a house? Which is like a big question. She's like, what is it? Like if you could have anything in a house. And I was like, you know what I want? I want to live in my same house, but with all that money, can I pay someone to cut the grass and do the laundry and clean up? Can I do that? Can, we, can I trade in? Like, that's what I would really want in a house with no grass that I have to cut and it's self-cleaning. That's what I would really want. And so we get to this part of scripture. You, I, you know, I ask you guys to write down what you want. We're going to come back to that later. I want you to just have that kind of in your mind of what you want, whatever that fill in the blank is. And we get to this amazing passage, and it's kind of the theme. The running theme through this passage is want, starting in Exodus 33, verse 13. It says, Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, this is Moses talking to the Lord, please show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? The Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken I will do. For, I have, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you will see my, shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So this is a little confusing. There might be a question that is raised from this passage, because as we started off last week, we saw God telling the people of Israel, I will not go with you. Y'all remember that happening, that he says, I will not go with you. And now we see that God is saying, okay, I will go with you. And this is the second time this has happened. Um, if you remember the story of the golden calf, Moses is up on the mountain and he says, the Lord says to Moses, he says, I'm going to destroy all of Israel and make a nation out of you, talking to Moses. And then that's not what happens. Moses goes down and he handles, takes care of business. And then, but it doesn't happen the way the Lord said. And so I was actually talking to Wes last week after the message and he was like, so I guess that was two weeks ago. He was like, so it kind of seems like God changed his mind, right? Like in that passage with the golden calf and here where he says, I'm not going to go with you. And now he says, I will go with you. It's a it can be a little confusing because it's like 
God said this, and then he did something different. But I think what's important is that Scripture is explicit that God doesn't change. Numbers 23, 19, it says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. So here we have Scripture explicitly telling us God doesn't change. God doesn't change his mind. James says that, uh, James also says that the Lord, that God doesn't change. So we're faced with this question of what happened, right? And if I wanted to address this because if there's anybody else who is also thinking, how did this happen but God doesn't change his mind? I'll tell you, the first thing that makes sense to me with the golden calf, because if we know that God doesn't change his mind, we have to figure out, okay, then what happened? The situation with the golden calf, you see Moses talking to God, and I don't think Moses would have been as angry as he should have been if God doesn't say it that way. If God doesn't say, I am going to destroy these people because of what they've done, I don't think Moses gets the anger and the righteous anger enough from this in order to handle the situation like he was supposed to. And so I think that what happened here is that it wasn't that God changed, but that Moses changed. So this is not God changing his mind. This is God changing Moses. Similarly, in Jonah, you have the people of Nineveh. And God says, yet, however, I don't remember how many days, and I will destroy you. But that was also conditional. That was if they didn't repent and change their ways. So they changed, and God did not destroy them. I think what makes sense to me in this passage that we read today, it seems to me, and I could be wrong. I'm totally open to being wrong. I want you to know that about me. I'm probably wrong about a lot of things. It seems to me that God is talking to Moses and saying, I will go with you. Where it was a, I will go with y'all. They really should have written it in the South, right? Instead of before it was, I will go with y'all. It's, I will go with you, talking to Moses. And I will give you rest. That he's talking specifically to Moses. That it's like, I will go with you. And so I think that we have to be careful wondering about these instances that we don't just go, oh, well, God changed his mind. And scripture says God doesn't change his mind. And so it's contradictory. We have to figure out how to rectify both of those things in our minds. And so I, I will say that like we've said weeks before, God is indefinitely bigger and more complex than we could ever imagine. So there is for sure an option that it can be something that we can't even comprehend here, of that something happened and the way the Lord communicated it and what happened, that there is a different explanation. So again, I'm not putting God in a box of saying it had to happen the way I, I said. I just wanted to answer the question for anyone who read it and also went, wait, did God change his mind? Uh, based on my research, this is what it looks like, that the word you is not really like used a whole lot for like y'all or you specifically. And so to know if he was talking to Israel or Moses, it's not like super specific. But to me, to make it make sense of God not changing his mind, he's talking to Moses instead. Anyway, again, getting to the, the text of what is actually being communicated between God and Moses here. I love the conversation because we should have the same heart that Moses had. That Moses says, I don't want to go where you don't want to go. I don't want to be somewhere if you're not going to. I think too often we pray to God, be with me as I go today. 
that we're kind of just trying to ask him to ride in the passenger seat while we, we run errands instead of asking him to drive the car and take us where he wants us to go, where we need to represent him and show him to people around us. I think what we see here from Moses is that Moses wants God. Moses wants God, and so we, too, should want God. I love that the audacity that Moses has to tell God. He says, I want you to get credit for your victories. I want people to know that you go with us. And then he says, show me your glory. What, an, what a boldness from Moses to just say that to God. Show me your glory. Do you have that desire? Is that something that you've even thought about? Do we find ourselves with the desire to see more how incredible God is, or do we just sit back and say, man, I'm good with what I've seen? Or just say, I, you know, I've seen God move, and it's, it's been good. That's, that's enough. Because if you think about what Moses had already lived through and what Moses had already seen God do, he watched God part the seas. He watched God provide this miracle food from the ground that nobody knows where it came from or how it got there other than God. He had heard from God. It says he spoke with him face to face. He had received handwritten tablets from God. And he still says, I want more. He wanted God. Because even the most worshipful experiences that we've had on earth here together in this room or through other nights of worship or whatever it may be, it's not the pinnacle of experiencing God. There is always more to be had. Psalm 105, 4, it says, Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Seek his presence continually. This is the mindset that Moses had. If we apply it to our lives, I don't think we'll ever reach the point where we say, Yeah, that's enough. I've had enough, God. That's plenty. Thank you. I'm good. I don't need any more. I'm the kind of person who, when I find something I like, I wear it out, right? Like a new song or a new album comes. It drives Maddie bananas. Like She's like, are you kidding me? We have to listen to this song again? Like I find a song I like, and I will listen to it. Every time I start listening to music, I'm like, this song, starting with this one, or listen to a new album, be like, listen to this whole album for the 30th time. And she's like, are you for real? I go to this, if I go to a restaurant, I get the same thing every time. Every time. I know it's good. I don't need anything else. I'm good. I'm going to eat this, and that's all I need. But I think there's also a point where we reach like too much of a good thing, right? I wonder what that point is for me with Chick-fil-A. Like how many meals at Chick-fil-A could I eat in a row before I went, that's enough. Like I, I, I promise it's more than three because I've done that before. So I don't know how many times, but when I was, uh, how many of you guys have been to Six Flags? So there's this ride called the Batman. I remember when the Batman ride came out and we waited in that line, I'm sure, this is confidence, two and a half hours to ride this, what, 45 second ride, right? Like you, you waited so long and the line just weaves and you're like, we're about to get there. And you turn in this and it's just this giant room that you got to wait through the whole thing. It was a lot. But now, pro tip, if you go to Six Flags now and you book it straight for Batman, which is in like the back of the park, so you got to get ready to walk. If you get there, you don't have to get off. 
Nobody else starts with Batman anymore. So I went with my friends one time. We got there when the park opened. We went to Batman. We sat on the back, which is the best part of the Batman. Trust me. We sat on the back, and I wrote it six times in a row. We pull up. Nobody was there. We're like, back again. Let's go. Send it again. We got to six times, and I was like, I can't. This is it. I'm, I'm done. And my friends were like, come on. I'm like, nope, this is it. This was it for me. Six. That's my limit on times I can ride Batman in a row. I also, I love, uh, I, my family has grown up going to the mountains. My grandparents had a, a little cabin in the mountains, and so I grew up going there every summer. And so sometimes people talk about, they're like, I love the mountains. Anybody love the mountains? For me, it's just kind of meh, right? Like I've been going there every summer for 32 years and it's like, yeah, I mean, the mountains, I mean, they're cool. Like, I don't dislike them, but it's like, eh, whatever. The things of earth, I think we can always get to a point of too much of a good thing, right? Whatever it may be, you can get to the point of saying, you know, that's enough. But with God, there's always more. There is always more to be had. So when our hearts experience that I want more, similar to where you hear the first song on an album and you're like, I can't wait to hear the rest. Or you take the first bite of something that is delicious and you look and you're like, yes, there's more to be had. Until our hearts get to that point with the Lord where it's like, I want more, we get to the point where it's like, there's always more. There is always plenty so when it comes to God, do we stop at Sunday mornings and spend an hour in here and say, yeah, that was, that was plenty. I'm good. I'm good. Do we treat the presence of God like it's a poorly cooked meal that you take a couple bites of and you're like, oof, I am full. You guys been there before where you're like, this was great. Thank you so much. I'm stuffed. And you say all that so that you can leave and get some junk food on the way home at the convenience store, you're like, I gotta stop and get something because that was not, that was not it. Because that's all we're doing when we choose something other than God. When we choose to fill up with things other than God, we're settling for convenience store quality food instead of what is best. If you look at the two types of people that we've seen in the last few chapters of Exodus, you have the Israelites put God off at a distance, they didn't want to get too close, and they start turning to other gods. They start making God into their image. They're not satisfied with what they're getting from the Lord. And then you look at Moses. He drew close to God, and he can't get enough. Which group do you fall into? Ask yourself the question, do I want more God or am I just craving more convenient store junk food? Have I experienced enough of God to understand that the only thing that is going to fulfill me is more of him? Or am I just trying to fill a void with food, sports, TV, music, family, friends, validation, money, or whatever it may be? What is it that you crave? Moses says, I want to see your glory. What an example of someone who is fervently chasing after God. I had you think about this, that this morning. Is what you put in the sentence, I want more blank. 
And I know that a lot of us, even though we're in church, didn't write God in the blank. We might have put something good and churchy like peace or joy or like, that's, that's fine. And I, I don't want you to feel judged. That's not the point of it. It's just some self-examination of what is it that you are really craving? What is it that you are like, I cannot get enough of? I need more of this. I think it's important that we identify what those things are so that we can realize I need to experience more of God so that he is the answer to that question. I want us to look at what happens next because it is also really cool. Picking up in chapter 34, Moses has gone back up the mountain to meet with God, and we pick up in verse 5. It says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the, the Lord, a God of merciful, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will be who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance." And he said, Behold, I am making a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels. Such have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you serve shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do, to, do with you. And then what comes next is a very similar passage to the previous covenant that was given that Moses smashed on the ground in anger because the people were making a golden calf. And so he, uh, you know, it talks about, again, destroying the, the idols of the, the lands they cover and making sure that those are gone. And again, this time he puts in there, and don't make gods cast out of any metal. He was like, okay, I know I didn't say it last time, so I'll say it this time. Don't make any golden anything. And then he tells them again to keep the Sabbath and the festivals. And I want to point out something in verse 14. It says, For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. So while the first thing we saw in this section is how Moses wants more God, we see here that God wants you. God wants you. He doesn't just want you to chase after him and be like, I want you to come after me. But he also wants you. This is not a one-sided relationship. God is jealous for you. And it's important to note that that word jealous there, we have to make sure we're framing it the right way. Because this is not God being jealous of you, right? Like he doesn't uh, he's not jealous of other gods because God is content being his, himself. God is jealous for us. He wants our affection. He wants our worship. He wants us to chase after him and say, show me your glory. He wants your attention, your praise, your time, your affection. You serve a God who doesn't want to just treat you like a puppet. And he doesn't want to smother you like an overprotective parent. He wants your love as well as to love you. 
He desires this incredible unity with us that marriage is based on. That's why the church is referred to as the bride of Christ in places like Song of Solomon, Hosea, Ephesians, Revelations. We have this example of the relationship that God has with us, his people. Our want for God is mutual with his want for us. That's the relationship with the God we serve that he gave his own son to die on the cross for us and pay the punishment for our sin. I mean, that speaks for his want for us just in and of itself, right? 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. God sent his son to literally become sin for you. God wants you. Similar to last week's passage on the tent of meeting, I love the, the reaction and the, the, uh, to Moses spending time with God that picks up in verse 28. It says, so he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. Catch this. He neither ate bread nor drank water. We'll come back to that. And he wrote on the tablets the word of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, he came down from the mountain. Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, the people of Israel came near. He commanded them all that the Lord had spoken to them with him on Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. First of all, Moses spends 40 days and 40 nights up on this mountain, and he doesn't eat food or drink water. This is some scientific news for you guys. You will die if you try to not drink water for, what is it, three days? Anybody know? Three days? Dead. Right, like that's so 40 days. Moses doesn't drink anything for 40 days. So either you're left with the choice of, well, I can't believe that, or we have to realize that when we are in the presence of God, our needs literally change. That God's presence is so fulfilling to Moses that he doesn't need to eat or drink for 40 days. I really think that's probably what it was. I don't know that it was necessarily that he was like, I'm going to fast, but that he just didn't need it. Like that the presence of God was so fulfilling that he didn't need to eat or drink. I think that's incredible. Is that the, the change that God can create even physically from his presence. And again, you see that when he comes down from the mountain and his face is glowing. And I don't mean like a little bit, right? Like it wasn't just like, you are glowing, right? Like, you know, you say to any pregnant woman, that's the, the best compliment, I think. It's what you're supposed to say. At least that's what I'm told. It's like, you are glowing. But I don't think it's like that because they were afraid, right? They were fearful of Moses. That's how much his face was shining. So I can't even like picture in my head how much light a face would have to give off before I was like, that's terrifying. Like, it's not just like glow paint, kind of. That the presence of God has impacted Moses so much that his face is shining and giving off light. Similarly, not only does God want you, but God wants to change you. 
God wants to change you. And if you think about it, how good would a relationship with God be if it didn't? Right? Like, what would the point be? If we just went on living the way that we wanted to live, like, how good is God if he doesn't actually change the way that we live? Like we, should, we should let God change us, and he wants to change us. Moses had a physical difference because of spending time with God. So what do you look like to others because of your time with God? Is there a change? Is there a change in you because of your time spent with God? Are you allowing him to work inside of you to make you completely different? Or are there things that you're holding on to because you really like them? Maybe things that you aren't willing to let him into parts of you that you're too vulnerable about. 2 Corinthians 5, again, starting in verse 17, though, it says, Therefore, if, any was in, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That phrase, the old has passed away, don't dig your heels in on anything in your life. If you aren't willing to let the Lord change you continually, you aren't becoming that new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. God is constantly refining us and making us better. That's one thing that I'm trying to do is let go of my own theology for the sake of truth. That there's nothing in my life that it's like, I've been taught this my whole life, and so this is what I believe, and I don't want to dig my heels in so much that Scripture and God can't change my mind. Because I'm real stubborn, y'all. It's bad. It's not great. And especially when it comes to what I believe, this is what I believe. But am I even willing to let God change that? Am I willing to look at Scripture and say, well... Scripture says something different. I was fully prepared when I started researching the idea of God changing his mind. I was like, I don't know. Maybe that's one of those things that I've just heard my whole life. And I was like, maybe God does change his mind. And somebody just told me no. But then I found it literally says God doesn't change his mind. And I was like, okay, well, that's a fact. Like, I got to figure out how everything else fits into this, right? And I don't want us to dig our heels in on anything so much that we're not willing to let Scripture and the Lord change how we think and what we believe. I don't want to cling to anything more tightly than the Lord. And like Moses, the more we spend time with God, the more we're going to change. There's nothing in our lives that we should hold to so tightly that we're not willing to let God change them. Not our family, not our jobs, not our friends, not our opinions, not our hobbies, not our entertainment. We should allow God into any and every part and say, how can I be better? How can I be more like you? Show me your glory. Because when we understand that we serve a God who can sustain us more than food and water who will fulfill us more than the junk food that we try to fill ourselves with when we begin to realize that we really want more of God and let go of the world, to change our, our want 
from the things of the world to the things of the Lord. Because the world will just leave us feeling, feeling empty. But God will satisfy our souls and simultaneously leave us more, wanting more and more of him. And we can never reach the end of God. Praise God. The more we experience of God, the more we will want him. And we serve a God who is jealous for our time, our attention, our affection. He wants us to want him. And he wants us. And he wants to change us. Let's pray. God, thank you for being a God who fulfills. God, I pray that you would help us to experience you in a way that leaves us wanting more. God, help us to realize that if we walk out of church on Sunday and say that was plenty, that we have missed it. God, give us the, the boldness of Moses, his desire that even though he saw you face to face, he saw your miraculous works with his own eyes, he still said, I want more. And God, that your response was that you do too. That you want more of us. God, that you are jealous of the things that we give ourselves to other than you. That when we try to fulfill ourselves with other things, that that breaks your heart. Because you know that only you can satisfy and can satisfy us in ways that the things of this world cannot. Lord, let us allow you to change us to be that. God, I'll change us from being satisfied with the little time that we have with you. Change us from our own opinions, our own thoughts, our own values to look more like you. God, I just pray that you would make yourselves yourself more evident in all of our lives and that we would experience you in bigger and better ways. So you know what we pray. Amen.